0: Greetings, my listening family. I'm happy today to be sitting with Jose Luis Stevens. Jose Luis Stevens, PhD, is an international lecturer, teacher, consultant, and trainer. A psychologist, licensed clinical social worker, and author of 18 books and ebooks, as well as numerous articles, he's also on the board of the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. He is the co founder of the Power Path School of Shamanism and the Center for Shamanic Education and Exchange. He completed a 10-year apprenticeship with a Weechol Mara Akami and has studied extensively with the Shipibos of the Amazon and the Keros of the Andes. Look for his book, Encounters with Power, and Ventures and Misadventures on the Path to Healing, true teaching stories from his life on the shamanic path. Jose is one of the most popular and respected international teachers of cross-cultural shamanism. And I am so happy to have you with us. Jose, we're going to start our our interview today uh, by asking you if you could share with us some of the events in your life. Um, I've had a chance to sit with you. I've been lucky enough to sit with you before and hear some of these stories, and they really are incredible. So if you could share some of those with our listening audience
1: sure um i've had the good fortune to spend some time with uh indigenous shamans and in different cultures and even to apprentice with one for 10 years and um I, in the course of those uh opportunities to, to learn from them i've I had some uh adventures and uh some challenges uh one of the things that uh, I've discovered is that uh when you're when you're working with one of these these um shamans uh, who actually have a whole different perception of reality, um, things start to happen. This is a little difficult to talk about, but uh, just by being in their presence and just by entering into their world perception, which is of course quite different um uh events begin to take place that uh might not ordinarily happen and uh, uh you know there's uh sometimes spontaneous uh challenges come up like uh suddenly you're uh, you know you're supposed to go meet them and the passport uh, has vanished <laughs> you know and uh i'm looking everywhere for my passport and uh finally i find it exactly in the place that i had left it and i had looked uh and and it wasn't there <laughs> so they, they, i mean these are little they, it may sound like little things but they they can be uh uh challenges that can be like you know scary even at the, at the time they happen um and then you know i might mention this to them and and they just laugh (laughs) so um uh i had a uh like i said i had a 10-year apprenticeship with this uh huichal shaman from mexico his name was guadalupe and he was um uh, he was actually illiterate here i had a phd and he 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 didn't know he couldn't write his name uh (laughs) But he was the teacher and I was the student. And uh, he knew a lot of things that I didn't know. And um, one of the things that, uh, and he was not afraid to confront me. So uh, I remember one time he, well, uh, I'll tell this little story about um, the last, one of the last uh, experiences I had with him before he, well, it was actually, this, this event that I'm going to tell was after he had passed away. Um, he, he did become sick with pan- pancreatic cancer that spread to his bones. And that was from um, working in the t- tobacco fields as a young man in Mexico, and there's a lot of pesticides. And unfortunately that, that uh, a lot of uh, the Huichol people end up with that because of the, you know, their work there. But anyway, we had a good ten years before that, and we were involved in go, uh, going. My wife and I were both apprenticing with him, and we were going down to Mexico, um, about a thousand miles down, uh, to work with him. And we'd have to go periodically and fairly often, and um, we would meet him out in the desert, uh, in these very isolated places, to do ceremony, and where he would teach us, um, and. Uh, he got sick and he we were supposed to do one more uh sort of a completion ceremony. And I said, Well, uh, how are we gonna how are we gonna do this? Um, if you're not gonna be here. And he said, Oh, don't worry, I'll meet you at the appointed time and the appointed place, uh, no matter what. And I, I really didn't understand what he meant, but I I said, Okay, we'll be there. And so, in fact, he passed away shortly thereafter. And at the appointed time and place, we had to drive a thousand miles down into Mexico and meet him in this you know, desert, isolated place to do a ceremony. And we went ahead and started the ceremony like we always did uh, with him. We lit a fire and we said our prayers and uh, called in the directions and all the things that we did. We picked some peyote and uh, consumed that, which we always would do with him. And then um, we sat there by the fire. It was a very cold November night. The wind was blowing, and uh, we were freezing as usual. (laughs) And um, I was staring at the fire when I suddenly heard my name. And I looked up, and I turned around and looked over my shoulder, and I saw him standing there about 10 feet from me, and he said, I told you I'd be here, and I was—I didn't know whether to be overjoyed or horrified or what, because he really was there, and I could hear him speak. The only difference was that he was somewhat transparent, and I could see the bushes behind him, you know, that were blowing in the wind. And so I knew that he wasn't there in a normal way, but he was still there. And so he proceeded to, uh, say, he told me, there's a lot I have to tell you, so I want you to shut up and listen, which is, you know, the way he would, <laughs> the way he would often talk, he, of course, in, in Spanish. And uh, I said, fine, and I, I shut up, and I listened to him for about an hour and a half, two hours. And he proceeded to tell me all the ways that I needed to uh, improve myself, (laughs) Uh, which, in other words, is a polite way of saying he dressed me down pretty strongly. You know, he he was telling me things like, well, you know, you're kind of lazy and you don't follow your discipline strong, you know, well enough and blah, 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 blah. And (laughs) I was very humbled, but I was so happy to see him that I didn't mind that he was telling me these things. And then after a good long period of time, he said, okay, that's enough of that. Uh, I've told you everything I wanted to tell you about that. Now I want to tell you some other things. And then he proceeded to tell me all the ways that he thought that I was really um, ready to, to to go on and do my own work. And he told me, the things that were strengths about me and that he admired about me. And um, it was equally on the other side of the pole as the, as the first part was difficult, this part was wonderful. Um, and then uh, he finally said, well, I've got to go. And he just faded away. And I, uh, many hours had gone by. I don't, I couldn't keep track of the time. And my wife, Elena, was uh, under a blanket all this time. She was like, she had thrown a blanket over her head, and she was silent as a mouse. I didn't hear a peep from her. And I went over to her, and I said, Lena, Elena, Elena, I, I just saw Guadalupe. I just talked to him for hours. And she threw the blanket back, and she said, well, that's exactly what I've been doing. <laughs> so, so we were both talking to him at the same time about different things, which, you know, is rather remarkable. But when I stopped and thought about it, I thought, well, why not? He could talk to as many people as he wants to now, you know. <laughs> anyway, that was a pivotal point in my training and my, my own experience. It was, a, I, I have to say, it was, uh, 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 it left me feeling very expansive and very strong and very high. And um, I'll never forget that. I mean, it's as vivid today in my mind as it happened at the time. And he said, don't worry, I'll always be with you. And I'll always uh, help you with your students. And you're going to have a lot of students. And, um, and uh, if, uh, and, I, and I'll show up uh, to you as a hummingbird. And so I can't tell you how many times uh, I've had a hummingbird show up uh, and sit right in front of my forehead. And um, I recognized that was that he was visiting me. So uh, he I have over the years, I've uh, managed to teach a lot of people and um, he's always been very, very uh, close by. I can feel him. I don't always see him, but I can feel him. I feel his support. And he sometimes tells me things to tell my students. And anyway, it's been a good partnership uh, for a very, very long time for many years now. And that's kind of, uh, I won't, I don't want to say that that's typical, but that is the kind of thing that one experiences when working with a very uh adept uh shaman Uh, especially you know an indigenous shaman who's uh very high up in their community so uh, i mean i could go on and on with the stories but you know um uh
0: maybe you could just guide me in what direction to go in here so I'm going to ask you to back up a little bit with the story because only because you and I have met before and I, I know some of the highlights of your story. But you, when we last spoke, you told me about growing up and how, in growing up, you kind of had an introduction to traditional medicine that would eventually like lead you on this path that would take you to the Huichol people. Yeah,
1: uh, I was. My mother is Mexican. And my grandmother was Mexican and my father was uh, Irish, English, American. Uh, So when I was uh, very young, my my grandmother lived with us and she couldn't speak any English, but she was my primary caretaker. So she used to speak Spanish to me and entertain me with all these stories about old Mexico. And she was born in the late 1800s. So, you know, it went way back quick and... um, She was raised in a a fairly wealthy family, uh, a hacienda type affair, where she was raised by the servants, and the servants were all Indians, indigenous people from the area. Huichols, Yaqui Indians, uh, Tarahumara. This was in the city of Chihuahua in Mexico, back when their silver mines were active and all that. And so she used to tell me these great stories about these indigenous healers and these people, uh, their, their, um, their belief systems and their uh, methods and how they saw the world and all that. And so for me, that became sort of normal. My mother used to tell me she, she'd come home after work and my mother would say, oh, don't listen to your grandmother. You know, she's a little crazy. But I, I, I knew better. <laughs> I, I knew that my grandmother really was telling me the truth. And so I learned a lot from her, but then she passed away. And I went to, you know, uh, I was living in Hollywood at the time. It's my, that's where my, my family was. And um, uh, I went to uh, parochial schools. I had Catholic education. But it was very ordinary, and I was enculturated and pretty much uh, believed, you know, what uh, everyday Americans believe. And then I, I at very a very young age, I I realized that I wanted to be a psychologist when I grew up. And um, I, I, you know, for a while, I entertained going being a, becoming a priest, you know, like all good Catholic boys, they all do that. But uh then I realized that that wasn't really the life for me i I checked it out a little bit, but it wasn't right. you know, I was too interested in uh, girls, and you know that wasn't going to work so um i i to uh, I went off to university and I studied uh psychology and I loved it and I did become a psychologist. at first I became a social worker, a psychiatric social worker i I worked in mental hospitals and all that. And uh, then I uh, I quit that job and I went to India and traveled in India for months for, by myself. And I met some very interesting and strange people. I met some magical people, you could say. It changed my entire outlook. And I remembered the stories that my grandmother used to tell me and it started to come together. So when I returned from India, Nepal, where I studied with a Tibetan Buddhist lama for a while, I, um, uh, I, my interest in shamanism returned. And uh, I actually went to, uh, I went back to graduate school and I got a PhD in, in counseling psychology with an emphasis on um, uh, shamanism as it interfaced with uh, Western uh, psychology. That was at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco. And that was a very, very rich and interesting time. I I studied, I had uh, people like Angelus Arian on my dissertation committee and Michael Harner and uh, Ralph Metzner and it was just a wonderful opportunity. And uh, through the through my interfacing with them I met some shamans, indigenous shamans. And uh, I eventually ended up meeting Guadalupe, who became the man that I apprenticed with for ten years. So that's a kind of a, a quick run through of that. But one of the most formative people in my whole life was my grandmother, because she got the whole thing started, <clears throat> and she she um, you could say that she opened those doors very early in my life to entertain things that most people would not consider to be normal or Ordinary, um, you know, kind of magical things, and um, to this day I, I think fondly about her, and I, I the stories that she told me are vivid in my mind. You know, um, so then I I didn't mention this, but along the way I got hold of some of the Carlos Castaneda books and read those, and they sounded just like what my grandmother used to tell me. So. I knew I was on the right track here, and um since those times I've managed to work uh, travel a lot and I've worked with a number of different shamans from I went to Australia out back and met met some shamans back in the outback and uh I went to Finland and Lapland and uh met shamans there and um, uh, south america amazon uh Canada. Native peoples there and so on and so forth. And I, what I was really interested in was the commonalities of, of shamanism as it is around the world. Like uh, they, have different, uh, they have different languages and different uh, uh, traditions, but, but they all agree, especially in the territory of healing, they're all basically in agreement about how to heal and what needs healing, and um, uh, their methods of healing. And, uh, you know, that's what I found uh, tremendously interesting. And I came to the conclusion, after studying some anthropology, and uh, world history, and all that, that there's no way that the human race could have survived without, without shamans. Shamans were the people that th- they, they knew how to talk to the plants they knew how to talk to the animals they knew how to talk to the weather they could forecast the weather they could warn their people about storms coming they could they knew where the herds were so they could tell the hunters where to go hunt so they could bring food back they knew which plants would heal people from heave, fevers and various skin maladies and all kinds of things they knew how to set bones they they were the first doctors so what How could we have survived without this knowledge? These were the people. These were doctors for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's only been very, very recently that we've had this allopathic medicine and the the medical system as it is today. For most of human history, it was you—you went to the shaman if you got sick, and the shaman would heal you, and they had a pretty damn good record of healing people. In fact, probably as good as. Medicine today, if not better. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's a little aside. But this, these things have always fascinated me, and um, caused me to want to know more. And so I, I've I have made gone out of my way to meet as many different kinds of shamans as possible, and I just find them to be fascinating people and. By the way, I'm not saying here that all shamans are necessarily good people <laughs> because <laughs> as in any profession, you know if you go into any profession, you find really good people and then you find uh shysters and the same is true in shamanism. sometimes you'll find uh you know sorcerers you'll find people that are like actually rather dangerous and really it would be best not to have anything to do with them people that are uh, you know, murderers for hire, things like that. Or people that are just interested in fortune, you know, and reputation and uh, getting their Rolex watch and, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I've had to steer, steer clear of some of those folks. Uh, but fortunately, I've managed to find some really wonderful people with a lot of integrity that I've been able to learn from. So that's that's I've been very lucky that way.
0: And that's probably a perfect point for us to end on, because uh, in our next session, we're going to delve more deeply into some of the teachings and some of the the very, very specific things that you learn from some of these amazing people. So, Jose, I want to thank you so much for being here with us on this segment. Okay, sure. Thank you. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.